Welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. My name's Amy McDonald. I'm a yoga teacher, yoga student, and a yoga business coach. And I'm here to support you to share your yoga with the people in your community who really need it. So if you're an amazing yoga teacher, but you sometimes struggle with the business part of what it is that you do, you're in the right place. I hope you thoroughly enjoy everything I've got in store for you. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, reach out to me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Hey folks, it's Amy McDonald here. Welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher podcast for this week. It's a little bit of chanting from my weekend. I spent the weekend uh, in Hepburn Springs in central Victoria doing an integral yoga relaxation, recharging, restoration, uh, three-day retreat. Super, super good. And I learned a whole bunch of stuff that I'll be sharing with you over the coming weeks. So hold on to your hats. Hold on to your mats. Hold on to something. Uh, That's going to be good stuff. For today, though, we're going to be taking a bit of a dive into some uh, heftier yoga philosophy and how that pertains to your yoga business. So as you know, if you're a regular listener, uh, I think my team invented the hashtag yoga nerd uh, for my benefit and had it printed on clothing. (laughs) This is going to be one of those shows. We're going to be talking about how you can use your vasana in your yoga business, or in fact, how you can uh, acknowledge, notice, and heal vasana in your yoga business. So uh, I think this one's a super good topic. Obviously, I think it's a good topic because uh, (laughs) I suggested it. But particularly because, as I was saying to uh, Sue yesterday, Sue, who teaches uh, yoga in Holbrook, in New South Wales, uh, yoga on a submarine, Jai Holbrook. Sue teaches yoga in Holbrook, and we were talking about how the having a yoga business, in fact, gives you so many opportunities to learn more about yourself, and um, and that showing up on social media and having a photo shoot and putting your ad in the newspaper and hanging up a poster at the cafe and all of these things can be opportunities for self-growth and self-reflection. Sue and I both live in small towns and we were chatting about the reality of that, that you know now everyone knows, <laughs> everyone knows what you do and where you do it and how many pairs of tight pants you own. And, and that can be confronting for a lot of, particularly, you know, um, for cultures such as Australia, where we are a little bit more conservative and we do... And we are very mindful as a culture of what other people think of us in a way that can sometimes make us play small. So this, uh, thanks Sue for uh, that conversation as it leads into this topic. And also a massive thanks, of course, to my philosophy teacher, Carlos Palmeida, who talked through some of these ideas at a training I did with him the weekend of my birthday. Before we go into the topic, I do just want to say one more time, thank you everybody who has sent me birthday wishes. Uh, I know I was talking about my birthday sale 
for a good week and the <laughs> so many emails and DMs and Facebook messages uh, from people just wishing me well. So thank you so much, everybody. I, I really, I really do appreciate that. Okay, here we go with the topic for this week. Season four, episode 10, acknowledging and healing your vasana in your yoga business. Swami Shivananda describes vasana as the waves in the mind lake. And Sri Ramana Maharishi says, the vasanas are the habits of the mind and that a state free of vasana is an eternal state of purity. So that clears it up for us. We know what they are and how to fix them, right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about, Amy? What the hedge? Vasana, vasana, what are they? Okay, so you probably are more familiar with the term samskara, right? Samskara is, uh, I'm going to amify this, right? Just so that we're clear. You email me, amy at amymcdonald.com.au if you're like, Amy, you're on drugs. That is not what any of that means. But in Amy's interpretation of these topics, here you have it. Um, samskara are the memories or the grooves in the mind. So as we go about our lives as embodied divine, things happen to us, we recall them, and they create patterns uh, in the mind called samskaras. And I guess in modern psychological terminology, you could probably call this uh, sort of, it, it is a component of conditioning or patterns. And the so some and some scars lead to the creation of habits or of learned behavior. So for example, think about when you first learned to drive. When I first learned to drive, I was at risk. Anybody looking for like, you know, uh, Mahasamadhi, <laughs> get out of my way. I uh, failed my first driving test. No, not my area of genius. Hand-eye coordination. You know, I took a longer time to get there. I sucked when I first started driving. And now, for better or worse, there will be times when I'll think, oh, shit, I'm already here. I'm already turning into my street. Because the behavior, the action of driving now is habitual for me. I know how to do it. I know how to change gears. I know how to indicate and turn and check the rear view and all of those things because I've done that for so long. I have the samskara of driving. I have a groove, a memory or a groove in my brain. That means I can do that without the same level of focused intention. These samskaras are how we develop habits over time. It's why you probably want to brush your teeth before you go to bed. It's why you probably wake up at the same time. It's why you tend to do the same things in your life in the same order that you do them. I am often reminded of, in fact, how prevalent samskara is in my life because my fur baby anticipates my behavior before I think I've decided to do something. I thought I was a spontaneous, free, loving spirit. Uh, but he already knows. He's already waiting at the door before I've even gone to get my shoes. That's how predictable I am because of my samskaras. So samskaras are the, we do something we generate a memory of that thing that is the samskara. So we take action, karma, karma, we generate samskara as a result of that action. Vasana is the next piece of that uh, flow chart. Vasana is 
the emotional content of the samskara. So um, it's how we feel about a thing that we have done. It's the, um, not just what we think about it, but it is the emotional, it is the feeling tone of that particular memory. And in fact, one of the ways of translating the term vasana is it's the coloring agent. It's like if it's like a the drop of dye in the glass of water of your samskara. It's the the emotional layer that we add to the memory. Um, it's tricky doing these teachings on a podcast. Um, Karen in Adelaide knows this phrase that Amy likes to use when she's teaching in purpose. Does that make sense? I can't ask you that because you can't all tell me. DM me on Insta if it doesn't at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. So. The, as you can imagine, the, we do something, we have a memory of that thing. As we do something repeatedly, the memories accumulate, we generate habits and learn behaviours. And uh, a subset of that is the feeling tone or the colouring agent of that memory. The emotional content of that memory is what your vasana is. And as you can imagine... This colouring agent of the samskara very, very heavily influences future actions and future thinking and then actions. And this is where the rubber hits the road when it comes to vasana in your yoga business. Um, Let me run you through an analogy. So I have um, a, a client. Client and I start working together, talented yoga teacher, has the belief that she's no good at technology, that she's too old, uh, that she's not techie, that she doesn't like social media, that she doesn't look like an Instagram yogini, etc. Perhaps part of this story is familiar to you. It sure as shiz is for me. So we uh, start taking action. And she... Uh, starts running a uh, some starts doing some Facebook lives and she starts promoting those to call in some new people into her into her yoga business and she finds doing that the first couple of times difficult she finds it difficult she doesn't know how to do put all the things together she doesn't know how to share the right link and how to talk to people and it feels a little bit cumbersome but she persists and we're coaching she asks me questions she keeps going but the action that she's taking in the memory that she's laying down as she's taking this action, it was a difficult thing that she did and she, she did it, but the memory she has of it was that it was a difficult time. It was a challenging experience in her business. And so as a result of that, she created this vasana, the emotional, the sort of the feeling tone layer that wraps around the memory that she was no good at it she found it difficult that she was no good at it and that in fact it was unsuccessful and that when she the so the belief that formed as a result of the vasana or the vasana itself really was that these things don't work for me these things they don't work for me but here's the thing that's interesting and because sorry before we get to that and because of that vasana these things don't work for me 
that's the attitude that she brought into her future actions. That's how you can imagine if you think that something doesn't work for you or you're not good at it or you know it's not meant for you for some reason, you can imagine how that is going to be a coloring agent for your future actions. If it's time to go do another Facebook Live and you have the vasana that you're no good at it, imagine how you're going to show up. Imagine how you're going to be setting your sankalpa, your intention for the benefit of that action. It's going to be different, right, if you have that vasana. So when I was looking at this with my client and she was sharing with me, you know, she feels that, I said, you know, when are you doing the next one? And she said, oh, look, I'm not sure because I don't think I'm very good at it. We took a look at the actual results. So rather than just relying on the whispering of the vasana for her, I'm not very good at this, we actually took a look at the results, the fruits of her actions. And it turns out that while she was doing this Facebook Live, she had like over 50 people watching, enjoying, and commenting on her Facebook Live. Now this client does not have a big mailing list. She is not spending much money at all on Facebook ads. She teaches some subbing classes sometimes, some workshops sometimes. She has a small yoga business. And yet there were over 50 people who were watching her Facebook live for like a good hour and then some. Now to me, that is a very impressive result. That is a beautiful thing. She's just teaching a yoga class to 50 people. I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't happen very often. At least it hasn't to me in my career, even at festivals. You know, the, uh, where I teach at festivals, classes don't get super, super large. That's a really impressive uh, result and also deeply in service, of course, to the 50 people who get to enjoy yoga from home for free because they're sitting on Facebook Live with her and receiving her teachings. So... If we take off the filter of the vasana, in fact, the, the samskara is still true, right? But the action that results from the samskara gets to be different. So let me play this through for you. The samskara that she has, the memory, the groove, the, the uh, learned behavior that she has as a result of taking these actions is that in fact it's difficult for her. Now, that's true, but like I said, driving was difficult for me when I first did it. And what we know is repetition and fine-tuning like asana, your actions get to be more skillful over time. So while the samskara says the memory of doing this is that it is difficult, rather than applying the vasana of the emotional layer, the coloring agent of, so I must not be very good at this, if we, you know, if you, it's like a, um, a classic yoga analogy used out of context. It's like the vasana is the prism which bounces the action off in a very different direction. So the action from the vasana being in place is, I'm not going to do this again because it doesn't work. But the action once the vasana is removed is, all right, it's difficult, but it's really working for me. So I get to make better choices. I'm going to make more time. I'm going to ask my coach more questions. I'm going to just roll up my sleeves and, and 
acknowledge that this is something that I am improving over time, but there is no chance in hell that I'm going to stop doing this because I'm getting good results and I'm being in deep service. And you can imagine that this trajectory, if you think about the, I mean, if you're looking at a graph, these two points are going in totally different directions over time. And if she had have persisted with the Vasana imposed uh, thought forms, her business would be in a very different position to where it is now, where she in fact is doing these once a fortnight and having great results. Very, very different action once the Vasana is acknowledged and removed from the decision and action taking process. So again, coming back to how does this show up in a more uh, modern psychological phenomenon? Like if, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach, I'm interested in this work. What does this look like if we take it out of the realm of, you know, Ramana Maharishi, Swami Shivananda, it looks like confirmation bias and that's, and it's confirmation bias that could be keeping you stuck in your business, getting the same or reduced results, despite the fact that you feel like you're maintaining a level of, uh, a level of activity. Okay. So nice one, Amy. Okay. That sounds fancy schmancy coaching language, but what the hell are you talking about? What is confirmation bias anyway? (laughs) Good question. So confirmation bias is when we see something happening and it affirms our existing belief. And so we take it as evidence that our belief is true. Uh, Example, uh, I believe that I suck at Facebook ads. I put on an ad, it gets bad results and I'm going, and my immediate thought is, see, I told you so, I suck at that. Or I think um, newsletters don't work and I'm puttering about on the internet and I happen to come across a blog post that says newsletters don't work. And I think, see, I knew it. My belief is correct. Even though all of the other Google searches on either side of that particular one might say why you need a newsletter and how they work. Um, uh, another example, uh, you're, you, you believe that you're a people pleaser and it's incurable. <laughs> Hit me up on Instagram. Let me give you some free coaching if that's your story. But if that is your story, right? Um, you know, you, you're a people pleaser. Your childhood was, you know, whatever, terrible Dickensian and, uh, you'll do anything to keep people happy and hate people at the same time. You need to read codependency no more. That's a tip for free, but you're convinced that you say yes when you mean to say no. And that's simply your story and there's nothing you can do about it. And so of course, every time someone asks you for, uh, and so, and because of that, uh, because you have this pattern of behavior saying yes, when actually the the correct answer is no. Can I extend my pass? Can I come late? Can my friend come instead of me? Can I pay you just $2? Because that's what I feel like. Can I not do this pose and do this one instead? Can I do some real dangerous modification because it feels better on my neck? No. And you just keep saying yes, even though the answer is no. Um, you have created a pattern of behavior where people know that if they ask you something, you're going to say yes, because you're a people pleaser. But in your mind, the belief is that you attract these sorts of people. Everybody, my belief is everybody asks me to do things and I just have to say yes. 
But in fact, that's you. You've been doing that. You've been telling people it's okay to ask me a shitty thing and I'll say yes. It's okay to break the rules. It's okay to bend my terms and conditions. It's okay to abuse me. It's okay to underpay me. Yes, 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 yes. But for you, confirmation bias is actually in play because you are compounding the belief that you attract people who take advantage of you. <laughs> um, and every time it happens, it just reinforces the belief that people take advantage of you. doesn't matter what you do. People are going to ask you for things and you're a healer. You know, you're a, you're a spirit of the divine. What choice do you have but, but to indulge them? Confirmation bias. I knew it. That's what I always thought. When in fact you're selectively perceiving information. This is what happens with vasana. That we have something happens to us when we do things, we undertake actions, we generate a mind groove, a memory, some scara of that thing. And we also have a feeling tone that is associated with the samskara, which wildly influences our actions and often shows up as confirmation bias. So then let's talk about what on earth do you do about confirmation bias and how can you be more aware of vasana so that you're not limiting yourself and like my example earlier, sending your business off in a trajectory that is at odds with your tama, that is at odds with your sankalpa, your intention and what you've actually been put in the world here for. So I have a list of four things. This is just what I think, four starting points for working with vasana or working with your own confirmation bias so that you can start to be more mindful that these things are in play and um, adjust your beliefs, therefore your thinking, therefore your behavior accordingly. Now, before I give you the list of the four things, what we need to, we need to have some like ahimsa here towards ourselves, right? Because in fact, confirmation bias or and, and positive vasana are deeply in service to the way that the brain works. It helps us filter so that we are only consciously or subconsciously dealing with an amount of data that we can actually handle. If you think about um, my driving example at the, at the top of the episode, um, in, for better or worse road safety wise, there are times when I'm sure you have this too, you will find that you've in fact just driven two kilometers and you can't quite remember being particularly mindful of the drive. But at the same time, you're also listening to this, maybe listening to a podcast, listening to something, maybe you're having a conversation with kids in the back seat. Maybe you're uh, actually doing the actual driving of the car or you're focused on someone who is tailgating you or, or someone who's driving erratically up front and you're not particularly mindful of the, the, the street passing by, whatever. Your brain is doing you a favor here in keeping you focused and compounding that particular knowledge because in fact you don't have the bandwidth to take it all in at the same time and process it in a way that serves. So confirmation bias can be very um, useful to the brain but it's like, um, let's see, let's make an analogy. It can be like uh, using a prop in yoga, right? There is a time when a prop is required and then there can become a dependency on the prop where the student doesn't 
have the opportunity to grow or expand or experience things differently because they're in fact limiting their embodied experience by reliance on the prop. We need to, sometimes it's in service, it's there for a very good reason, and it can work to our detriment if we aren't at least checking in from time to time. So these are the four things that I think are useful check-in opportunities for dealing with vasana such that it no longer in a limiting or negative way colors your samskara. One, be curious. This one is just like, uh, honestly, how you approach life. I promise you, if you dial up the curiosity in your life, everything, everything will get better. Everything. I had dinner with a friend last night. She has a long-term, long-term Ashtanga yoga practice and over recent months, she's found herself somewhat disconnected from that tradition. That's another podcast. Anyway, she was telling me about a teacher that she has been practicing with who has more of a bit of an embodied flow kind of approach and how she's loving the curiosity that it, that it inspires in her and in her practice and tuning into her body. This is just one of the ways that curiosity just makes everything more lush and voluminous and um, lustrous and uh, inviting curiosity. If only we were all more curious, that means you're asking questions, you're feeling things out, you're checking into stuff, you're doing a whole lot of, huh, that's interesting. It's pre-judgment. Curiosity is pre-judgment. It's just being inquisitive. It's wondering why rather than whether or not something is good or bad. Simply being curious about everything that you're doing in your business. How do you do this? Good question. Leads to point two, which is the imperative nature of Svadhyaya. Now, you guys know, and I'm, <laughs> man, I try and do my best not to be no, that's a lie. I've, I, I, I vaguely filter my attitude on this topic, but I'm not a fan of Patanjali and the Yamas and Niyamas. I want to do a shout out. I'm not going to name names, but I want to do a shout out to that fabulous yoga teacher I met over my birthday weekend when we were talking about Patanjali's yoga sutras and she did that action. I don't know if you do it anywhere else in the world, but it's definitely a thing in Australia where you kind of do like the crotch chop. Um, how can I give you an example of this? Uh, <laughs> DM me, uh, folks. Like, if you know what I'm talking about, I want to know. Amy, yoga biz coach on Instagram. It's that. It's that mudra. <laughs> you know, there was. I don't know if anyone else here is like a Handmaid's Tale freak, like I am. Um, anyway, I am. And you know how they did that breakout dance thing with um. Uh, the commander and Serene Joy, they did that dance thing. And at the end of it, because she's Australian, right, that actress, uh, she did like the crotch chop move. It's sort of like, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's, it's probably got a cool name that I don't know because I'm not cool. But anyway, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to that yoga teacher who feels quite similar, obviously, by that mudra uh, about potentially that I do. Nevertheless, this it may it's a niyama sure it's also just a good thing to do as a yoga person as a self-reflective interesting human being with some like <laughs> emotional intelligence Svadhyaya, what is it self-reflection the reading of the self 
taking time to inquire about yourself by yourself. Now, um, you know, Patanjali would have it that you got to meditate for that, but wham, I'm not a, as you can imagine, listen to me, like walk from orc here, meditating, not really my jam, at least not in a classical sense. So what other Svadhyaya practices can help us reflect and do some reading of the self that might be more available to people that tend to be a little bit chitta by nature? I, for me, and I've talked about this often, journaling is one of my go-to Svadhyaya techniques. Three pages every morning before I get up or just after I get up helps me to defrag the mind lake. <laughs> Sounds like you would get electrocuted if you did that. But anyway, uh, in the, the, to, to smooth the waves in the mind lake, as Swami Shivananda may put it. Journaling, journaling, journaling. Free form journaling. If you want to know, here they are. Amy's book recommendations about journaling. The Artist's Way and A Life's Companion. Those are my two go-to journaling books. But things like uh, you know, anything that's a contemplative practice for you in your life, maybe it is your yoga asana, maybe it's swimming laps, maybe it's riding your bike, walking your dog in nature, um, washing the dishes and having a shower, those two tend to work wonders for me. Maybe it's something more formal like talk therapy, counseling, where you get to process your own stuff in a, in a space that's held for you by, by a professional. Maybe it is meditation for you and that is where you connect with the divine, maybe it's playing your harmonium or doing japa mala or whatever, but having time, regular time, in fact, I lovingly suggest daily time for Svadhyaya is really going to help you start to see what is vasana and what is, and, and how can I um, uh, eradicate it rather than just suppress it? How can I ditch this altogether? Obviously coaching is designed to do exactly that, to challenge you on these coloring agents such that you can make better choices for future actions. I also think that uh, point number three in the list of how to manage confirmation bias and vasana is ensuring that you are putting yourself in new environments regularly. One of the reasons that I went to... Um, this integral yoga retreat over the weekend is because it's important for me to check in with other ways of thinking and to not get entrenched in, in my own preferred way of thinking. So I uh, drove up to over my birthday weekend, I drove up to Armadale and I drove back to Belladella and I spent three days with my teacher and then I drove all the way back to my house and overall that was about 40 hours in the car the whole time love I listened to Christopher Wallace tell me about Tantra excellent the time in Armadale I was with a colleague who has a very similar philosophical angle to me when it comes to yoga obviously you know Carlos has been my teacher for 10 years so while we were studying a text I hadn't studied before I, I could anticipate uh, what he was going to say and how he was going to say it. And I knew that I was going to feel that feeling of comfort. You know, that, that, that caramel feeling of, yeah, I know this. I love this. This feels so good because it's what I know to be true. Ring the bell, people. That's confirmation bias. 
feels amazing. Like the good stuff, you know, like this is the positive vasana. This feels good. I'm back here. I'm home, baby. I am loving it. This feels incredible. <laughs> and <laughs> Jai Harish, Jai Carlos Pomeda, compounding my confirmation bias. Yep, that's what I think. That's what I know yoga is. It's not all of that rubbish. It's this. My way is the true path. <laughs> so good idea, Amy. Better go sit in front of some other teachers and, pardon me, folks, here it comes. Get your head out of your ass because there are other ways of thinking about things that are different to yours. So Amy goes to Integral Yoga and uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise, is uh, triggered up the yin-yang. Check this out. I was reflecting when I first started on doing the Yoga and doing some reading and, and when I first went to Anasakura Ashram, was really, I, I was delighted by the fact that um, teaching the corporate, just the access to Kama Yoga was so, and being of service, was such a central um, philosophy and practice of, of yoga. And the, very early on, when Swami Satchana first came to the United States and brought Eastern Yoga to the Western world, that one of the first activities they teach is teaching yoga to people, religious people, and um, Made yoga available to people in that sort of setting. And I think that really, for me, you get a very strong statement about yoga wasn't built, you know, wasn't sort of set up by Hollywood to be yoga. Yoga is not just, you know, probably its most minimal form. Um, and I've got sort of found people say this, oh, it's like being, you know, it's what you do at the gym, you know, it's just this physical activity. And for me, the thought that they saw that teaching yoga in prisons was one of the core values and practices that they were wanting to do really, for me, highlighted that Eastern yoga is so much more than just a physical practice. Um, and that's been something they did almost from the beginning, I think, was to teach um, things, and they've maintained that practice, it's been, it's been done um, continuously in, in the Anasakura Ashram. That was Anandi in one of the talks we had at Integral Yoga, and I apologize for the sound quality there. I didn't anticipate uh, gathering stuff for you all while I was on a retreat. But, you know, as you can see, 
wildly different um, belief about what is yoga, why do we do it, why is it important, what is the emphasis, wildly, wildly different to the opinion that I hold myself. Now, is it beautiful? You bet. Community gardens, teaching yoga to prisoners and homeless people, being in service. I don't know about cleaning public restrooms. You know, I, I, I do pick up litter when I'm out walking my dog that isn't my own, but do I walk around with a dunny brush in my backpack? No, but nevertheless, beautiful qualities to be a good person. And for me, at least personally, yoga is not a personal development program. It happens to be one of the boons on the path, uh, but in fact, being a yogi is not because I'd like to feel peaceful, easeful, and I can't remember the other word that Swami, Swami Satchidananda uses, but different. Is mine right? Is theirs right? Maybe none, maybe both, maybe who cares? But without being in these new environments, I'm not confronted with strongly held beliefs that are different to my own. And so I could continue to compound the notion that in fact yoga is just this one thing and this is the right way to do it and everything that Carlos says is bang on and everything that Harish says is wordy but bang on and I'm just going to keep listening to that stuff because that's where I'm feeling oozy caramel, thank you very much. So I really think that checking in with um, checking in with what might be confirmation bias, one of the powerful ways, in fact the third on my list, is by putting yourself in different types of environments and being exposed to people who think differently than you do. And not just macro level, but micro as well. I'm in a room with long time practitioners who are talking about an ashram that I go to every year and we have fundamental difference of opinion on what yoga is for, why you do it, and what you what you do it for. But very, very interesting nonetheless. And helps me understand huh, what actions of mine are being uh, coloured by Vasana that I may not have identified as being there. Who am I judging? Who am I associating with? What uh, sadhana am I participating in because of this emotional feeling tone that I have unknowingly attributed to a memory or a mind groove or some skara. And then the fourth point in looking at how you can acknowledge and then heal by means of making different choices, your vasana in your yoga business and your life, let's face it, is Seeking to understand before imposing your view. Always approaching a differently held opinion with the benefit of um, the, giving the benefit of the doubt and seeking to explore something. Always asking more questions than you make statements. So me saying to Anandi, you know, this is really interesting. I'm really curious about Sorry Sachidananda's uh, teaching on how yoga is about being in service to others and looking for more peace and ease in your life. Tell me more about that. I'm curious to know more because that's different to my view. Tell me more about that. Rather than sort of going head to head with somebody, 
simply to impose what you believe to be true because the mind, like I said earlier, is designed to uh, reiterate those, those beliefs, those thoughts, those emotional feeling tones. We're, made, we're like one walking, talking homeostasis machine, right? We have been perfectly designed over eons or, I don't know, apples and snakes and whatever, however, wherever you're at with that. But we got to this time in this meat suit essentially as a perfected homeostasis machine. What does that mean? We'd like things to stay the same all the time. That includes what's going on upstairs. And so the if we seek to ask questions and engage with people before imposing our own existing beliefs, again, we have an opportunity to realize where vasana may be at play and choose to take different actions. So I hope this has been useful, folks. I want to just come back to, in fact, so I've, I've talked about the four ways. Let me recap those. The four ways you can start to inquire about whether or not your actions are being influenced by negative vasana. One, be more curious. Just apply that generally. Take that as a tonic for life. Two, svadhyaya, consistently and intentional time daily. Journaling, meditating, talk therapy, coaching, masterminding, but do it every day. It can be as simple as three pages of writing before you're, uh, before you get up, before you hit the mat, after you hit the mat, whatever, but get it in your life regularly. Three, put yourself in new environments. You know, I always go on about go to more classes. One of the reasons why is for, is this, is, is vasana, is checking in. Um, what emotions am I bringing to this thing? I remember being in a class in uh, Hawaii and, and you know, we're, we're doing the class and I have a samskara that uh, asymmetrical standing poses need to be shorter for me because I have limited internal external rotation of the femur. And uh, the vasana that I have associated with that memory is pain and fear. I hurt myself badly once it was in a hot studio I slipped on my mat I caused myself an injury that took years to heal and is still healing and so I have fear and 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 pain vasana the coloring of my memory is is very held on very tightly fearful and um and I was in this class and the guy teaching it I can't remember his name and I can't even remember the name of the studio but uh, quintessential Hawaiian Anusara yoga, like as if you know it was like just so pro life, love and happiness and sand and surf and the whole thing. Like Frangipani's, this guy would have farted Frangipani's. Do you know what I mean? Like it was just he was there. You can imagine it was it was great. Um, anyway, and so I'm all uptight and I'm from Melbourne and I wear black and I know my pelvis better than you know my like all that which essentially is the memory being colored by the fear and the pain of an accident that I'd had. And this beautiful guy, he just essentially like cracked through that by being in his environment. And he said something like, okay, cool. Why don't you try it my way anyway? And he takes a deep breath, realizes perhaps she's uh, fallen victim to her own vasana, does it his way, turns out, cracked it, amazing, long, aligned, safe, secure, asymmetrical standing pose. Nailed it. Uh, but I wouldn't have unless I had someone else 
hold up that mirror to me, being in a different environment to actually perceive the the reality of the situation differently. So number three is put yourself in new environments, go to different trainings, be with different teachers, read books that are different to your lineage. Uh, let, like, let's break out of the silos and break out of confirmation bias by exposing ourselves to different ways of thinking. And number four is when you are in those environments, always seek to understand first, ask more questions than make statements and and bring that curiosity into discussion with others, not because you're seeking to convince someone else of your ideology dogma, but because you're genuinely curious about what they have to share and what gems in there, boons in there may in fact support your own journey and growth. So before we finish up then folks, just to reiterate, Vasana shows up in your business when you are believing your own bullshit and when you are compounding a limiting belief because you unknowingly attributed a feeling tone to a memory of something that you've done before. This can cause you to avoid doing things, to not give something a second chance, to not ask a better question, to not look at your results and have a rational talk with yourself about the genuine outcomes that you have been achieving can cause you to retract, to withdraw. And of course, none of these things are in service to what it is that you're about. So go well. I hope this training has been useful all about acknowledging and healing your vasana in your yoga biz. If you're interested in doing more yoga philosophy training with me, let me know. I've got some stuff uh, coming up, a couple of modules coming up. Uh, in New South Wales. I can share all the info. Again, hit me up on Insta at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Take care, everybody. Let's finish up with a little more interval yoga chanting to Shiva. Mahadeva Shambho, Mahadeva Shambho, Mahadeva Shambho, Mahadeva Shambho. So there you have it, folks, another edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. Hey, favor to ask. If you found the content useful, I would be very grateful if you could support this podcast by giving me a five-star rating. And if you've got a moment, a review would be super cool. No pressure, of course. Like I said earlier, if you have any suggestions for podcast topics in the future, I would love to be in service. DM me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Take deep care.